Warning, because of the extreme content in this podcast, it is not appropriate for children. It contains depictions of violence, language, and disturbing subject matter. It is recommended strictly for adult audiences. Parental guidance is suggested. My name is Joey Siaglia, and I am so excited to welcome you into our family. There are so many stories being told about serial killers, but no one has created direct relationships like you will hear on Murder Phone. My incredible brother, Tony Siaglia, a traumatic brain injury survivor, and the subject of the best-selling book, The Serial Killer Whisperer, will be your host. Along with his co-host and our amazing father, Al Siaglia, they will share over 15 years of handwritten letters, phone calls, and prison visits that will bring you as close to a serial killer as you'd ever want to be. This is a story that is so raw, so scary, with so many twists and turns, it will keep you clamoring for more. Through his own words and letters sent directly to Tony, you will hear the unfiltered, shocking story of David Gore and his cousin Fred Waterfield, who became known as the Killing Cousins. This is Murder Phone. You are not guilty. I'm not guilty. <laughs> does, that, does that include the time I stole a comic book when I was five years old? <laughs> I'm not guilty of the charges which have been filed against me. And the allegations? And the allegations. And the rumors and the <laughs> I don't know all of what you're speaking about, Lucky. It's too broad and I can't get into it in any detail. Uh, but I'm satisfied with, with my blanket statement that I'm innocent. Uh, no man is truly innocent. I mean, we all have transgressed in some way in our lives. And as I say, I, I've been uh, impolite, and I, there are things I regret having done in my life. Uh, but nothing like the, the things I think that you're referring to. I think I stand about as much chance of dying in front of a firing squad or in a gas chamber as you do being killed in a plane flight home. Let's hope you don't. <laughs> But, so you don't lie awake at night thinking about it? Not a moment. Honest to God, not a moment. I've been told that, uh, you know, the parents of these of these girls are, are fairly decent people. I don't know. And I really feel for them because apparently they've suffered some uh, an incredible tragedy in their lives. The loss of a loved one is is probably, probably the most extreme kind of loss you can suffer in, in this life. And I say, I, I feel as much for them as anybody can. You think about getting out of here? Well, well, legally, sure. Hi, and welcome to the fifth episode of Murder Phone. Gore and Bundy, friends till death do us part. I'm your host, Tony Siaglia, the serial killer whisperer. I'm happy to be joined by my best friend, co-host, and dad, 72-year-old coxman, Al Siaglia. Stop it. I can't take it. Hi, everybody. I love this guy. <laughs> it's 72 years old. It's like what they would call in the old days, an old suitcase is a valise. It's like he carries this old valise around with him. That's what I feel like. No, I'm just kidding, buddy. You keep me young. Yes, stop Thank it. Thank you. Uh-huh. Anyway, hi, everybody. And the tape that you just heard was Ted Bundy giving an interview in the jail at Aspen, where he escaped from a couple of weeks after that. You may have heard that tape before. Um, the Ted Bundy tapes, which is really a popular show on Netflix right now, and if you like uh, the stuff about Ted Bundy, you should really probably check it out. Tony and I know a lot about him, but we actually learned some things just by watching this. It's on Netflix. It's really good. I highly recommend it. But well anyway, done. Well done. Yeah. But anyway, Bundy and Gore, who is the subject of our first season, became really good friends on Death Row. I like to call that the unholy alliance. And as we get into the letters and you hear what these guys talked about, you'll realize that unholy alliance is probably not the strongest term that I could use for them. 
But anyway, before we get into those letters and they describe their friendship, Tony, why don't you uh, tell the listeners uh, some of the similarities that these two uh, monsters had in common? All right, all right, all right. So we're working our asses off. I know you've been looking for ways to help support the Murder Phone podcast. Well, we're excited to announce that we officially launched a Buy Me a Coffee page. Go to our webpage, murderphone.com, and click on Buy Me a Coffee. Then click the Support tab, and you can buy Dad and I as much coffee as you want. Hurry, though, because Aruba ain't cheap in the winter. If you're a super fan and want to get even more up close and personal, sign up for a membership and you'll get access to all kinds of cool, exclusive content that only official murder phoniacs can access. Thanks in advance for your support. When you listen to these, um, what they had in common, you can be a judge for yourself on which one of them is the bigger piece of shit. You got gore. Good old David Gore. The ruses he liked to use, where he liked to pretend he was a policeman. And remember, Gore and Bundy, they would use these ruses to trick women and lure them back into their web. He also liked to pretend that he was a beekeeper. And then there was the roadside assistance. Good old David Gore and Freddie Waterfield, Hillbilly One and Hillbilly Two, we're here to help you out. Looks like your car is fucked up. Oh, why? Because David fucked it up. That's why. We're going to get this woman. God, just you think about those poor ladies, and they didn't have a chance. No, I know it. And then you got Ted Bundy, his ruses. His most favorite one was a fireman and a policeman. He had badges for both of those positions. Fake badges. He was also known to wear a fake cast so he could ask girls for help carrying his books or loading his sailboat. And he would bring them back to their, to his um, bug tan. And then it's pretty much lights out for that girl. Sad. He also liked to walk on crutches and pretend like he was hurt to get girls to help him. Both of them stalked and hunted women. Gore was more cautious than Bundy. That's what Gore told me. Ted, he would look for any opening. Both had hair fetish, and long hair triggered their urges. David Gore, he scalped his victims and took them home as trophies. Bundy would sometimes take the whole head and spend days with it. And just think in that interview that we just listened to, and he's talking about how, you know, these were good parents. Well, I think they were. And I I, I can feel for them just about as much as anyone could. Bullshit. Just, it's just disgusting when you listen to him and you see such holes in his story. Both enjoyed biting their victims and that's what nailed Ted eventually. Bundy was into necrophilia and for those who don't know what necrophilia is, it's when you sleep with the dead body, have sex with it. Gore enjoyed dominance and control, but not necrophilia. And both were executed. Bundy fried in 1989. 
David Gore, 2012, he took the needle and it put him to sleep. For those women out there who always say Ted Bundy is, he's really kind of hot and everything that stops, stop, stop. Both were sick motherfuckers. And there is absolutely nothing redeeming about either one of them. Last January, two Florida State University sorority sisters were strangled and beaten to death in their sleep. Three other young women were severely injured. The crime touched off a massive investigation that led to Theodore Bundy, a 31-year-old former law student who has been kept in isolation since his arrest last February on auto theft and forgery charges. The FBI lists Bundy as a suspect in at least 36 sex murders in recent years, mostly in western states. Last night, Leon County Sheriff Ken Casares invited reporters to the county jail for a reading of the indictment to the defendant in front of the press, something rarely done in criminal cases. The charges, two counts of burglary, three counts of attempted murder, and two counts of first-degree murder. Why don't you read it to me? You're on ballot for election, aren't you? Mr. Bundy got it, didn't you? Mr. Bundy? You told me that you told him there you were going to get me. He said he was going to get me, okay? You've got the indictment. It's all you're going to get. Let's read it. Let's go. Theodore Robert Bundy, you are charged. Because of a court order, Bundy has not been allowed to speak to the press since he was arrested. Last night, he tried. Well, listen, I've been kept in isolation for six months. I've been kept away from the press. I've been buried by you. You've been talking for six months. I think it's my turn now. All right? We got a court order. There won't be any press interviews. Sure there won't be any press interviews. You've given them out. I'm, I'm gagged. You're not. The arrogance of that guy. Did you hear him? No. That's all you're going to get. It's like, well, it's his narcissism. It's disgusting. And by the way, everybody, he never graduated. No. He dropped out of college. He was not a lawyer. No, half the time he didn't go to class. He he couldn't. I mean, he's not. uh, He couldn't focus. He He even talked about that. Yes. I don't know. Let's, the next tape is about his being found guilty, even though he said he was innocent. Let's listen to that one real quick. Okay. Before pronouncing the sentence, Judge Edward Coward let Bundy make a statement. I'm not asking for mercy. For I find it somewhat absurd to ask for mercy for something I did not do. So I will be tortured for and will suffer for and receive the pain for that act. But I will not share the burden for the guilt. In imposing sentence, Judge Coward cited the savagery of the crimes and what he called the indifference of the defendant. This court independent of, but in agreement with, the advisory sentence rendered by the jury does hereby impose the death penalty upon the defendant, Theodore Robert Bundy. Then, in an unexpected move, perhaps an afterthought, Coward stunned the courtroom with some parting words for Bundy. Take care of yourself, young man. Thank you. I, I say that to you sincerely. Take you. care of yourself. It's a tragedy for this court to see such a total waste, I think, of humanity that I've experienced in this court. You're a bright young man. You made a good lawyer. I'd love to have you practice in front of me, but you went another way, partner. You know, Tony, can I say something real quick? Please do. I'd just like to point out the first tape in the Aspen jail, innocent. I never did anything. I maybe stole a comic. When he was being indicted on that one tape, you heard him. Oh, yeah, I did nothing. You're going to get nothing. I'll, you could swear me in right now. And even on this third tape, this last one that we just heard, he was found guilty and given the death penalty, and you heard him. I'm innocent. I'll share this burden. I will not beg for mercy on something I did not do. Just think, though, he took it all the way to the... I mean, he didn't, he didn't um, fess up until the day before his execution. Exactly. And then he tried to play the game, you know, please let me live longer and everything. But they didn't. Good. Fuck them. What they did 
They shaved his head. They dragged him into the execution chamber. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah, he couldn't walk. Yeah, he couldn't. carry him. They had to carry him in. He was crying like a baby, and they stuffed him full of toilet paper. I love it. And I'll tell you what, his ego, his narcissism, he had the chance to plea for, to take a plea for life imprisonment, no death penalty. And his ego wouldn't let him take that. No, he wanted to fight it. So he fried. Yes. And he needed to. He needed to. Absolutely. Unbelievable. Let's, uh, let's start with the letters, Tone. You know, uh, read the first letter for us. Dear Tony, 12-10-2008. Hey there, pal. I sure hope this will find you doing as well as can be. Things are pretty quiet here for now. I received your most welcomed letter and great Christmas card. I got the photos you sent. Boy, you guys do it up for Halloween, don't you? It's great when people get into the holidays. He sounds like such a family guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. well, wait till you hear a couple pages into this. Uh (laughs) Getting back to the letter here. It's great when people get into the holidays. I think your George Michael and Wham costume looked great. No, I didn't know Gerald Schaefer. Just to let you know, people, Gerald Schaefer was another serial killer on death row in Florida when David Gore was there. Back to the letter. But I heard the same thing about how he liked to make up stories. You are correct about Ted Bundy. Him and I became pretty good friends. He had heard of my case, and him and I talked quite a bit, and there were a lot of murders he did not tell the police about. Sort of like me, because there are a lot of murders that no one knows about. He told me he was going to use them as his ace in the hole to avoid the death penalty. Why don't you tell me about that, Dad? What do you feel about that? The ace in the hole. Didn't work, did it? No. More like they're not asshole. Yeah. They're just they're not gonna buy it. No. Thank God. Mm Mm-hmm. But in the end, the cops didn't care. They never do. So I'm not sure why he thought that. You know, to talk to Ted, you would never suspect his dark side. He was very intelligent and well-spoken. Him and I often talked about how we wished we had known one another on the street. Ted was also obsessed with female hair. He actually strangled a girl with her own hair. What I found fascinating with Ted is how many women on the street were fascinated with him. That blew my mind. He had literally dozens of women writing to him. He let me read some of their letters and they would talk sex with him. I was surprised to say the least. You wouldn't believe how sexual they got with their descriptions of what they wanted him to do to them. It was kind of strange. And believe me, If he were on the street, I don't think these women would have liked what he had in store for them. One madman to the next. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Back to the letter. I remember this one girl told him the way she... (laughs) Sorry. I'm so sorry. I remember the one... I remember this one girl who told him the way she strengthened her pussy muscles was she would slide a candle up in her pussy and then walk around her house and hold it in there with her pussy muscles. You would not believe what these crazy girls talked about. If they could have heard the shit Ted talked about doing to them, 
I don't think they would have been writing this stuff. Let me put it this way. I, I, I don't think that, that Ted belongs in jail. The things in Florida don't concern me any more than the things out west do. You think, and those are the things... You think these are trumped up charges? I don't think they had reason to charge Ted Bundy with, with murder in, in, in either Leon County or, or Columbia County. Well, before I continue with the letter, I just want to say, I really don't like this girl. She's, um, Carol Boone, and... I mean, you know, writing to serial killers for as long as I have. You know, and they tell me about girls that want to marry them and hook up, and I just... I just... I don't agree with it. And this girl used to sneak in drugs to him, and she was the mother of his kid. It's just... Back to the letter. He was married, and I met his wife, Carol Boone. She was one sweet girl, and the woman I had visiting me at the time would ride to the prison with her. Two assholes. You know, it is funny. I used to watch when he'd be in the visiting room with his wife and little girl. That poor little girl. And to watch him, you would think he was the most loving and doting father. He showed so much attention to his daughter, and they would play together all day. Carol was hurt when she found out Ted had actually killed more women than she said. She acted like she didn't know. I'm not sure if I believed her. Ted told me many times she was a little crazy herself and was so in love with him, she didn't care what he had done. Did I just say asshole a little bit ago? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Back to the letter. I've often wondered, whatever became of Ted's daughter? She would be up in her late 20s now. Think about it. She is Ted Bundy's DNA. And he wrote a creepy smiley face in the letter with with the tongue sticking out of the mouth. This girl was so out to lunch. You know, she showed up. She worked with him back in, uh, I I think it was Seattle. Did she work with... Yeah, she worked with him. No, with Ann Rule? Way back, Ann Rule. I think she knew them. But this girl was so out there, so out to lunch. I mean, come on. She sat through that trial. She saw him try to defend himself. She saw the evidence that was presented. You usually don't get the death penalty for nothing. So for her to sit there and say, I didn't really know that he killed anybody. I'm hurt. Asshole. Bullshit. It's all bullshit. Yeah. And, you know, it was all a ploy because Ted Bundy, towards the end of his trial, you know, he asked her in the courtroom to marry him during his trial. Yeah. It's just... And and this girl, wherever she is, God bless her, because to walk around knowing that this animal is your father, which I'm sure she does, and obviously her mother was one brick short of a wall. Um, I just, I hope she's doing okay. I really do. I do too. Because it's not the daughter's fault. It's not. That she had the devil left for a father and an asshole for a mother. Yeah. Back to the letter now. After watching him with his wife and daughter, I'd always think, who would know what lies beneath the surface? I think that's what makes serial killers so dangerous. On the outside, they seem normal. I know in my own life, I carried on like the boy next door, but I was constantly alert for any opportunity to feed the dark urges. I'll say this, Ted used some really great ruses to lure his victims. I was pretty impressed by some. Apparently, he was excellent at impersonating. His personal favorite 
which he used many times, was to impersonate a firefighter. Yeah, I wonder if he played with the little fire trucks when he was a kid. (sighs) (laughs) Back to the letter. Ted and I would compare things we used on victims, and I told him I had a giant dildo that was 18 inches long and was a monster. I mean, it looked and felt like the real thing, and when I would pull it out to use on a cunt, she would see it and freak out. This dildo could literally rip a girl open. Ted told me he used many different things to shove up a girl's pussy, but he never had a dildo that was this big. He was so curious and wanted to know all the details about the pain and damage it would cause to an asshole or pussy. Believe me, we spent a lot of time comparing the different objects we used and what caused the most pain. So what do you think of O.J. Simpson getting 33 years? Do you love how he changed like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's talking about destroying pussies and assholes with an 18-inch dildo, and then he jumps into O.J. Simpson. Yeah. Beautiful. And David, yes. I wish they would have put O.J. on death row where he belonged the <laughs> first time around. So what do you think of O.J. Simpson getting 33 years? Doesn't he realize he's under a microscope? He acts like he can do as he pleases and no one will care. Well, my friend, I will close this for now. Take care of yourself, your friend David. One other thing about OJ, David. I've eaten dinner next to him three times now since he's been out. Just, I just happened to be in a restaurant and his ass happened to be sitting next to me. He looks terrible. He should look terrible. Yeah. What do you really think of him, Tom? Yes. I'd pull pull the switch in the electric chair. (laughs) Okay. Or just put a bullet in his head. It's easier. Let's go on to the next letter. I'm so sorry about that. It's just that whole thing. Don't worry about it. There's a lot of people out there that feel like you do. So don't worry about it. All right. We're on here to tell the truth. Yes. Okay. Let's, uh, I'm going to read the second letter. This is dated 1-1-2009. Dear Tony, hey, pal, how in the world are you? I know this morning you are probably sporting a real nice hangover. All that New Year's Eve celebration. So did you make your New Year's, New Year's resolutions? I'll tell you, New Year's Eve was a great night to hunt. All the women getting drunk and not alert to things. That was always the number one thing I'd look for. A female not being alert to what was going on around them was a prime target. (laughs) Even on New Year's Eve. I know. Come on. Come on. Back to the letter. That's like hunting on Christmas Day. I know. (sighs) Back to the letter. I actually got a woman one time like this. She was in her late 40s and she made the mistake of begging me not to do her in the ass. I guess she had a thing against being screwed there. Well, you can guess, I banged her good and even used the big dildo up her ass and she lost it. She had told me I could fuck her in her pussy and she wouldn't fight as long as I didn't do her ass. Don't ask me why in the world she thought I'd do what she asked. I don't know. After I got tired of rimming her hole out, I'd use the dildo on her. Hold on, hold on. What was he doing to her hole? Rimming. Thank you. I just wanted to hear you say that again. You're welcome. (laughs) Sorry. I'm sorry. After I got tired of rimming her hole out, I'd use the dildo on her, and when I took a break, I let it stay up in her, and believe me, it freaked her out. I love torturing these cunts. Believe me, the more pain I could inflict, the more I liked it. You're right. It's too bad he didn't get the electric chair. Okay, back to the letter, you know? Yeah. You know, I've been entertaining the idea about what things would have been like had Ted Bundy and I been partners. The thing is, had Ted and I ever met on the street, we never would have known the other's dark side. 
it's not like we'd have introduced ourselves as serial killers. Now, if we'd become close friends that hung around all the time together, just in the course of us talking, we would have come to know each other's dark side. That's how Fred and I knew one another. Something would be said, and the other would comment, no matter what the subject was. And I think Ted and I would have done the same. When we were on the same floor and would talk, it was like we'd known one another all our life. The Unholy Alliance. Mm -hmm. Back to the letter. And no doubt it would have been the same on the street. The first girl that would have fell into our clutches would certainly have been enjoyed. Something that Ted and I talked about that Fred and I were also interested in is getting one and both of us fucking her at the same time. Ted would talk about how to do it. One of us would lay down on the bed and position the cunt to straddle one of our cocks and let it slide up in her pussy. Then the other gets on his knees behind her, makes her bend over, and he slides his cock up into her ass. And one fucks her in the pussy while the other ass fucks her at the same time. Ted and I talked about how we'd both be biting her all over and I'd want to chomp down on her tits. What the fuck? <laughs> Come on. I mean, serious. I know, I know. Think about I know, this. I know. It's... Hey, girls out there, do you find anything sexy with these guys? They think he's good looking? I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, I told you. Like, I used to I go know. to this, this like, adult store. <laughs> and there were girls there that, that they like guys to bite them. I mean, not, like, take chunks out of them, but, but bite them. Sure. I'm sorry. Okay. I know. It's crazy. You're back 72. Maybe this wasn't big. Uh, back to the letter. Let me tell you, these conversations would get both of us very excited. I don't know if you have picked this up from reading about Ted Bundy, but one of his fetishes was to bite off the nipple if he could. If you remember, after he was caught, there were comments in the media that were teeth marks which they matched to him on his victim's breast. That's what he was doing, he was trying to bite them off. But it's hard to do. Now, Meaning, how, how do you know that, David? Yeah, he must have been a pro. Would you know? I wouldn't. No. Unless he did it. David. Mm -hmm. We'd both be biting. I think I am too old to read this. <laughs> Shit. Back to the letter. Ted and I both loved porn and we would discuss what we liked. When I say porn, I'm referring to the hardcore stuff. We both liked triple X stuff, you know, magazines that left nothing to the imagination. You had to buy this bondage and S&M stuff on the black market, but if you knew where to go, it was easy to find. I had a real good collection of porn mags. Some cost up to $15 a piece. You would not believe what they showed. And, and, and the issue is how this kind of literature contributed and helped mold and, and shape the kinds of violent behavior. It fueled your fantasies. Well, in, in the beginning it fuels this kind of thought process. Then it, at a certain time it's instrumental in what I would say crystallizing it, make it in, making it into something which is almost an, like a separate entity inside. And that in, at that point you're at the verge, or I was at the verge of acting out on this, on this kind of these kinds of things. Now, I really want to understand that. You had gone about as far as you could go in your own fantasy life mm -hmm. with printed material. And you made or printed in video or film Fil or... Film, magazines, yeah. what have you. Yeah. And, and then there was the urge to take that little step, or big step, over to a physical right. uh, event. And it happens... It, it happened in stages, gradually. It doesn't necessarily, not to me at least, happen overnight. My experience with, I'd say, pornography generally, but with pornography that deals on a violent level with the sexuality, um, is that once you become addicted to it, and I look at this as a kind of addiction, uh, like other kinds of addiction, of addiction, you keep, I would keep looking for more potent, more explicit, yeah, more graphic kinds of material. 
like an addiction, you keep craving something which is harder, harder, something which which gives you a greater uh, sense of, of, of uh, excitement. Until you reach the point where the pornography only goes so far, you reach that jumping off point where you begin to wonder if, if maybe actually doing it will give you that which is beyond just reading about it or looking at it. When it comes to pornography, Tony Siaglia is the fucking king. I've been watching porn since I've been like 13 years old, right? Yeah. I mean, at one time I had an enormous collection, which I threw away eventually, you know, like when I turned 41, <laughs> I'm 42. <laughs> I, I just would like to say that no porno, and, I, and I've seen it all, I've lived it all, has ever made me want to bite girls, kill girls, rape any girls, of that. rape girls. So all them. Exactly. So all that shit that Ted said, I just, I just think it was well, let's hot go, air. Let's go back to the letter and hear what David says. Okay. Yeah, I do remember when Ted Bundy gave that interview with James Dobson saying porn, porn made him do it. <laughs> now, that was what we just heard on the last tape. That was Bundy being interviewed the day before he was getting executed by James Dobson. So here's Gore's take on the whole thing. Back to the letter. The truth is, Ted knew that porn did not make him do it. And personally, I don't believe looking at a picture can make a person go out and rape and torture and murder and do the horrible things he and I did. Ted knew that too. I mean, sure, it might get you all excited and horny to where you want to do it, but it doesn't make you do it. That is the person's choice. That was our choice to do it. I think all the experts will be debating for hundreds of years what causes people to do what they do. And I'm not sure if we will ever get a definite answer. So now that's it, a it, serial killer. I mean, yeah. he's, he's like Ted. Yeah. But he, he wasn't buying it. No. And let's face it, Ted was using that to get out of the death penalty or mm -hmm. at least extend a stay of execution yeah and the guy that was interviewing i, I wanted to hit knock him off the chair after listening to him no. now which he's a, we'll hear him a little later again but it's just well he's like a boy scout you yeah, know yeah i mean yeah. it's sickening yeah he probably wears garter belts <laughs> the, the guy that was doing the interview back to the letter i do feel that each serial killer would have his or her reason for what they do I know I've had a lot of people say how I must have hated women, but I don't think that is true as to a blanket statement because I have had relationships with women who I thought the world of. But at the same time, there are some I wouldn't hesitate to knock in the head. <laughs> I know my first what? wife screwed me over as much as any woman could. When we divorced, she called my employer and told them I was stealing from them, even though I wasn't. But they fired me just on her word and that's just the tip of the iceberg. I wish many times I had killed the fucking bitch. Anyway, I think this all goes pretty deep. Well, pal, let me go ahead and close this. You take extra care, and I'll write more later. Thanks for being such a good friend. Your best friend, David. Oh, wow. That was quite a letter. The air has been sucked out of the room. Yeah, for sure. Yes. All right. I mm. guess I'm stuck reading the last letter, right? Yeah. I just maybe like I could get Scott in here to read it. <laughs> Scott's, Scott's shaking his head. No, he's not doing it. <laughs> okay. This one is dated 10109. Dear Tony, hey there, pal. I sure hope this will find you and yours doing as well as can be. As for myself, I am fine, and things here at the grand old Hilton of Florida is pretty much the same. <laughs> I have not heard anything from my lawyers. Guess there isn't much to say. I really don't know what is going on with the death penalty. Hey, your dad and I certainly are in the same class when it comes to cheeseburgers. How what do you the like fuck that? fuck is that? How do you like that? 
do not put my dad in the same category for anything. I don't know why he would even mention. With David Gore. Man, I could eat those every meal, and the juicier it is, the better I love it. (laughs) He did tell me one time that he would like to see my dad in women's underwear. Ah, that's real funny. (laughs) Come on over there. All right. You know, I totally agree with the Mackenzie Phillips situation. I mean, if they had no problem with it, what's the big deal? I can't understand why people look at a father and daughter having consensual sex as such an awful thing. I say they should try it. They may like it. People place the label of taboo on way too many things. I know we're supposed to be a civilized society, but really, what is civilized? It's not you, David. Is this for damn sure. My opinion on the Mackenzie Phillips Yeah, give me your opinion. Hey, listen. Whenever that kind of stuff happens, like like a mom screws a son or a dad dad screws a daughter, it always looks great in pornography, but not really in real life. Right? Absolutely. But just think, though, if you had a really hot mom. Stop it. Okay. I'll stop now. Back to the letter. It's like if I had a sister. Back to the letter. I got stuck with the brother. Back to the letter. You asked about Ted Bundy. As I've stated before, he was not your typical serial killer. If you were to meet him on the street, you think he belonged to the upper class. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he and I would have made quite a team. We actually discussed that many times. Sort of a scary thought, huh? Yeah, it is. Mm Mm-hmm. Him and I would even create scenarios on how we would hunt and what we would do after we caught one. Him and I also used to share many stories with each other about our crimes. And the thing about Ted was he was also, I'm sorry, and the thing about Ted was he also had a thing for a woman's hair. He preferred it to be long and parted down the middle. I think at the end he actually didn't care if he got caught. He loved college girls. He said the reason he chose them was because they were away from their homes and away from some familiar surroundings so that they made them easy prey. See, I love college girls, too. Not like that. No, but you don't look at them as prey. I mean, no. everything about these guys was sick. Gosh, like a nice college waitress. Go on. I'm Back sorry. to the letter. Back then... You didn't have the security on college campuses like you do today. Back then, you could pretty much just walk into a campus, which is exactly what Ted did. You know, Ted Bundy was a real likable guy. (laughs) You couldn't ask for a nicer person. I'm not bullshit. This is what he wrote. I know, and he knew everything about him when he wrote that. Yes. So he's not a really nice guy when he's like uh, fucking your dead daughter and cutting her head off. Back to the letter. He knew my fascination for the hair, so he shared a story with me that he claimed was his favorite. I never heard this case mentioned, so this was one of his killings that the police didn't know about. He told me one time he went to this high school and pretended to be a firefighter Firefighter. with a badge and all. He told me this was the ruse that he used many times. He spotted this girl practicing who was a cheerleader and had hair down below her ass. He waited until she got off by herself and went up to her and told her her house had caught on fire and her parents asked him to come and pick her up and bring her home. She went with him, and when she climbed into his car, he subdued her and took her to an isolated place. Because her hair was so long, he told me that he was in a frenzy and actually used her hair to strangle her. After she was dead, he fucked her several times. He was so into her hair that he cut off her head and he took it to his room. He would then wash the hair and put makeup on the head and sleep with it. He said he spent three days with it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, by desensitization, I I describe it in specific terms is that each time I'd harm someone, each time I'd kill someone there'd be an enormous amount uh, 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 especially at first uh, enormous amount of 
uh, horror, guilt, remorse afterwards. But then that impulse to do it again would come back even stronger. One of the, the final uh, murders that you committed, of course, uh, was apparently little Kimberly Leach, 12 years of age. Uh, I think the, the public outcry is greater there because an innocent child was taken from a, from a playground. What did you feel after that? Was there, were there the normal emotions three days later? Where were you, Ted? I, uh, I can't really talk about that right now. That's weird. That's too painful. I would like to, uh, I'd like to be able to convey to you what that, that, uh, that experience is like, but I can't, that I won't okay. be able to talk about that. Okay. I mean, I have to comment on this. Please that. do. All right. First of all, you heard me tell the story about this girl that he strangled with her own hair and he cut off her head and spent a few days with her. Yes. Now you listen to Ted and he talks about how he feels after he kills somebody. He feels sad. He feels so sad. It really bothers him. Remorse. He feels the remorse, but then the urge takes over and he has to kill again. Well, the first part of it's bullshit. There's no empathy with this guy. He never felt bad. You don't do the things that he did. Can I interrupt you? Yeah. He was a classic sociopath. I don't know if you know this or not, but they did not use the word serial killer until Ted Bundy came into the picture. Good point. You're mm -hmm. right. I forgot about that. Yes. So anyway, you don't do that without being a classic sociopath. Now, you listen to this interviewer, this Dr. Dobson. Oh, my gosh. And he asked him about Kimberly Leach. Now, mind you, Kimberly Leach, he used the same ruse with her. He pretended to be a fire. She was 12. 12. He pretended to be a firefighter. He, he saw her outside the building while class was in, and he went up and said, your house is on fire. He yeah. used the same ruse many times, he told David Gore. So he used that same ruse that he used on the woman that he just described. Mm -hmm. He spent three days with her head. But it was too painful for him to talk about Kimberly Leach. I'm now, sorry. That interviewer was, it's too painful, right? I'm sorry. It yes. Is. It's, it's crap. It's crap. It it's bullshit. Sick, and I wished I'd have been in that room. Exactly. Because I'm getting heated up. You want to slap that guy yeah, that was interviewing I, I, yeah, him. Yeah, and Ted, both. Mm -hmm. I didn't do more to Ted. Right, I'm going to go back to the letter. We're almost done with this letter. Mm-hmm. He used to have so many ruses, I would never have thought of half of them. Back then, it was pretty easy to use a ruse on a girl. People were more trusting back then. You couldn't do half the stuff today. Also, Ted was not shy about taking a chance. Where I would evaluate a situation, he'd go right on in. The reason he said he targeted high school and college students was because at that age, you think you're invincible. One of the things that got Ted caught and really had a lot to do with me getting caught is overconfidence. After you've abducted and killed as many as Ted and I, you sort of get careless. At the start, you pay attention to every detail and make sure you clean up, but eventually you think you aren't going to get caught and you slip up. Even the police know this and they say, he'll make a mistake mm -hmm. and when he does, we'll be there. That is so true. I'm glad David is honest. Yeah, he mm -hmm. definitely knew the, the situation. That's how they all get caught. Yeah. Let me go ahead and close this here. I'll write you more later. Take care, pal. Your best friend, David. Wow. We're going to hear what mom says now because we have to hear what Ted's mom said. Okay? Okay. He was our much beloved son, and we can't, we didn't raise him to be this kind of person. We gave him a good upbringing, and something has happened to him 
sometime since he left this house that has triggered some terrible madness inside of him. All right, that was Ted's mom. Mm-hmm. When he called her, that was his last phone call to her. She never could understand because he was raised right. In a Christian family. In a Christian family, and he was not raised to be this guy. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? From the things that we've studied, I think there was incest involved. There's a lot of people that feel that way. Yes. I think that... It all points to it. The grandfather had sex with his daughter. Ted's grandfather had sex with his biological daughter, Mm -hmm. and he impregnated her, and she had Ted. She wanted to give Ted up for adoption, but the grandfather said, you go back and get that baby and you bring him home because we're going to raise him. So now Ted was being raised by the grandmother and grandfather who he thought were his parents when really the girl that was his sister was really his mother. You're following all this, I do, yeah. Okay. I believe he was around 14 when he found out that his sister was really his mother. Now, the things we heard about his grandfather yeah. was that this guy was had a rageful temper. Uh, he was, uh, I think, a woman beater from what I've heard. And he ruled with an iron hand, an iron fist. So, I mean, everything points to incest. And a lot of this could be the reason that Ted turned out the way he did. I mean, yeah. There, there has to be some answers. It all points to that. Definitely. Which makes me think, my brother, was he born of incest? A milkman. Milkman. Okay. So. That's why we look a little different. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess that wraps up the fifth episode, which I think has been our best one yet, of Murder Phone with your host, Tony Siaglia, the serial killer whisperer and co-host... Al Siaglia, my dad, my best friend, one hell of a coxman. Please join us next week for episode six, and it's going to be exciting. We're going to be talking serial killers with Dr. Jim Fallon. If you guys want to know about Dr. Jim Fallon, just Google him. You'll find tons of stuff. Amazing. He's amazing. This is Joey Siaglia, and thank you for listening to Murder Phone, hosted by my brother, Tony Siaglia, the subject of the best-selling book, The Serial Killer Whisperer, and his co-host, Al Siaglia. For more information on the show, please visit MurderPhone.com, where you can ask questions, link to our social media accounts, and much, much more. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, and an iTunes review would be much appreciated. Murder Phone was written and produced by Tony Siaglia and Al Siaglia and recorded at the Level 9 Studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. Thanks to Scott for his editing magic. Please join us next week for another exciting episode of Murder Phone. Before we go, I want to give out a huge shout out to all those living this life after brain injury, which is our new normal, as so many call it. You are awesome. Keep going. I know I will. And to my listeners out there that know someone living with a brain injury or any other mental health issue, hear me. Please be kind. Please be patient. And most of all, be understanding. Remember, they are all doing the best they can.